0: Such a treat to be here it's always fun to be with my own family so hello my family up here and family all around hello moran park we have been spending the summer in a series looking at the foundation of the church we've really sat in one particular verse acts 2:42, where it mentions um what the first church did and it just says that um, they, they sat with the apostles' teaching, fellowshiped, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and the prayers. And we have been looking at those different pieces of the, the early church, the first church, um, the church that began by Jesus' design, and we've been asking ourselves a, a couple questions. And one of those questions is just, what was the foundation of the church originally as it was made to be? And secondly, are there any cracks in our foundation as a church together? And so we've been looking at what are the cracks that maybe have come into our idea of what church is, our idea of what fellowship is, and breaking of bread and bread is, and our ideas about the word, and our ideas about prayer. And we've been asking ourselves not just communally, like Moran Park, are there cracks in our foundation, but we've also been asking ourselves individually, Where are the cracks in the foundation? Or what lies or misconceptions have I been believing about church, about God, about who I am in Christ? And so that's where we are today. And today um, I have the privilege of following up Dave. gave an amazing message last week talking about prayer as a concept of abiding. And I love what Dave said because one of the first things he said last week was, I think we've made this too hard. I think we have complicated prayer um, and we've made it so much of what it's not that we've forgotten what it is. And so we looked at John 15 and we basically just saw Jesus' call to abide. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Abide. And today I want to continue in that stream of thought by looking at another passage where Jesus is teaching about prayer. And I, I love this passage because He's sharing about prayer because the disciples asked him about it. And I think it's fascinating when you look at the Gospels of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them. I mean, let's be honest. They walked with him for um, all the years of his ministry. They followed him. Um, they, they were on his heels. Some people say they walked in the dust of the rabbi. They followed him closely and they saw so many amazing things. They saw him. Give blind men their sight. They saw him make lame people walk. They saw him on the mountain of transfiguration when he was shining with glory. They saw him doing the things, the miracles that we hear of. He turned water into wine. They saw it all. And yet the only question I can find recorded in the Gospels where they say, teach us, is this. Teach us to pray. And if they needed to learn how to pray and they got to walk face-to-face with Jesus, surely we too need to cry out, teach us to pray. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to be all over, but we're going to mostly plant in Luke 11. So if you want to look with me at Luke 11. Luke 11, 1-13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We were hiking one of our favorite nature trails on an unusually balmy spring day many, many years ago in Lincoln, Nebraska. At the time, I was just a mom of two, and I had my two children with me. In fact, I was planted between them. Lucas, who was then a four-year-old, was moving fast-footed ahead of me, his pockets bulging with acorns, and he was storming the trail as if, he, as if he had to make the trail himself. Lizzie, my two-year-old, was putzing around behind me, stopping to inspect every anthill, pick up every leaf, hold every stick, chase every butterfly, and I was just planted between the two, trying not to lose any. So I'm, I was sitting down with Lizzie, taking a look at a beetle that she was interested in when I suddenly heard from up ahead on the trail this cry, Mom, Mom, come quick. Immediately I scooped up Liz and I ran because when your kid is on the trail and he's gotten so far ahead that you don't know where he is, you go running for it. And I got to the spot where Lucas had stopped and he wasn't bleeding and he wasn't injured. He was standing in front of a giant, giant tree that had fallen across the trail. he stood there looking very concerned he was studying this goliath of a tree the roots were all dangling up here up high instead of in the ground and it just stretched on and on there was no way we were going to get around that tree on that trail and he looked at me said mom i think this tree is dead (laughs) yes i agreed i think that tree is dead and we had a Conversation, I want might to happen to the tree. He had all kinds of great ideas. Maybe a mean, evil axeman came, and then I suggested lightning. We never did decide how it died, but we could agree on the fact that the tree was dead. And I was busy trying to think what I was going to do if we were going to try to climb over that thing and keep hiking so I could stay on the path I knew, or if we needed to turn back and go back to the parking lot. I, I wasn't sure, but before I had to come up with an answer, Lucas said to me, Mom, God could bring this tree back to life. Oh, yeah. Now my heart was flowing with pride. I'm, like, looking at my child and thinking, like, I'm doing such a great job because, like, that faith he has, like, uh, <laughs> Right. Come on, moms, let's hear it. Like, it's the moment where you're like, oh, my goodness, something I've said is actually taking root. All the little prayers we've prayed, all the Bible stories we've read. And so I just looked at him proudly and said, yes, he could, Lucas. And then Lucas said, I'm going to ask him. Put his hands on that dead tree. (laughs) He threw his little toe head up to heaven. He closed his eyes and he said, God, God. I know who you are. (laughs) I know you can make this tree stand up tall again. Do it. (laughs) Lizzie chimed, amen. And then we stepped back, and Lucas acted. My kid, who's always in a hurry, always fast-footed, suddenly acted like he had all the time in the world, just stood there looking at that tree. Stood there looking at that tree. And I stood there, wrestling it out with God. Are you kidding, Lord? What are you going to do about this? (laughs) See, evidently, right now I'm standing in a lose-lose situation. I mean, if you don't make that tree stand straight up, suddenly the big God I'm trying to teach my preschooler about shrinks a little smaller. And I don't, I don't stay here and wait for the tree to stand up. It's only the big faith I'm trying to show my kids gets a little shaky. What are we going to do about this? Finally, I convince Lucas that the best thing for us to do would probably be keep moving. I use nap time for his sister, of course, and I use lunch time and all the things we might use to keep us moving and. I convinced them that we would climb over that tree and keep going, and, and I assured them that since we knew that the trail that we would like to walk in this particular um, park was a circle, that we would catch the tree on the way back, and we would see it standing straight. I was sure of that. And so we left. Lucas skipped away, and um, I followed, and at some point I did the only thing that a mom who wants to protect her child's heart would do. I pretended to get lost. And I took him on another way home. Anyone who knows me knows actually that doesn't take very much pretending. I was, born lost, I was born lost, I lived lost, until the GPS, I was always lost. Now I'm just sometimes lost, even with the GPS. So I pretended we got lost, we got to the parking lot, we drove home. Over dinner that night, as the kids were chattering with their dad about what we did that day, Lucas began to tell about the tree. And he told the story, and he told about his prayer, and Rob's eyes were kind of sparkling as he tried not to giggle, and he was looking at me with raised eyebrows, and Rob said to Lucas, so, what happened with that tree? Luke shrugged his little shoulders, and said, I don't know. Mom got lost, and we never made it back to see. <laughs> to which my husband replied, Huh. Sounds like your mom missed her chance to see a miracle today. I went to bed that night thinking about my husband's playful banter. Thinking about my son's bold prayer. And I felt like the disciples in Luke 11. Like something in me stirred and I realized I don't really know much about prayer at all. But the reason I don't think I know much about prayer is I also don't know that big God that my son was praying to. I never once saw the tree and thought to ask God to raise it. Oh, I knew of God. I knew God the best I could. I knew about prayer. I'd been raised in a Christian home. I, had a mom, I have a mom of amazing prayer. So my first memories from waking up as a little girl is I would tiptoe across the hallway and I would see my mom on this ugly green love seat with her cup of coffee in her bathrobe long before it was light and she was praying. I knew about prayer. But I felt all of a sudden like I needed to be taught how to pray. See, I think the disciples maybe found themselves in a similar boat. But you have to understand when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, is that these weren't guys who didn't know anything about prayer. They were men, young men, young boys, who had been raised in devout Jewish homes. They were living in a Jewish community, and if there's one thing that is a cornerstone of Jewish life, um, it is prayer. No doubt, three times a day, these men would have dropped everything they they were doing and prayed. There would have been morning prayer, afternoon prayer and evening prayer on top of that there would have been blessings to speak prayers to say over meals prayers to say um, over situations circumstances their life was saturated with prayer and yet there had to be something about Jesus that made them want to learn prayer from him so in a way, when they say Jesus teach us to pray, if you'll notice, they say Jesus teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. And they're kind of like saying, like you know, John gave his disciples a special prayer to say. They had a prayer. Um, he taught them. We want one too. We want a special prayer to say. We want a prayer for us. We want to know the way that you pray. Would you teach us? And so we see he gives them the Lord's prayer, which is probably better um, described as the disciples' prayer. He gives them a prayer. But Jesus' understanding that the way of prayer can't really be understood until we know the why of prayer continues on with this parable. In a sense, he's saying "You, you can pray This prayer, all you want, here are some things you can pray. The Lord's prayer that he gave um, his disciples is just scripture. You can find all those lines in scripture. My daughter Lizzie taught me that not long ago. He says, yeah, you, you pray scripture, but here's the thing. You need to understand who you're talking to. Prayer isn't just recitation." not just saying a bunch of words and hoping we get it right prayer is an invitation it's an invitation to come and get more from the father than what we thought we could ever find so he tells this parable he tells this parable about a neighbor and and if you went to the neighbor's house at night and banged on his door and said hey i someone's coming and, and I need your help, I've got nothing to feed them, that neighbor would, would probably not be happy. And that neighbor might not even get up and help you on account of the fact that you're his neighbor. But if you knock long enough and you're persistent enough, that neighbor will get up and give you something. And so often I think we look at this passage and, and we zone in on the idea of persistence. If I just bug the neighbor long enough, he'll open the door. If I just bother God enough with my prayers, he might do something. But the heart of what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples was the heart of his father. And so if you look at the very end of those verses, he says the neighbor will give it to you. Even that neighbor will give it to you. But how much more will the heavenly father? Let let me backtrack. He says, okay, so the neighbor will give it to you because, you know, you're bugging him. But what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? If you, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Basically, he's saying, hey, if you... If you, as evil people, know how to give good gifts, surely my father, who is perfect, will give you good gifts. He's not saying, um, My father's like a cranky neighbor, knock, 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 and bug him, and he'll finally give you something. He's saying, My father's nothing like the neighbor. If the neighbor will even get up and help you at night, don't you understand who you're talking to? My father is nothing like your grumpy neighbor. James 1.17 says he is a giver of good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who doesn't change with the shifting shadows. He's saying, my Father only has good gifts. Only has good gifts. You see, I think so often the reason we get stuck on prayer is because we approach prayer as if the object, the the point of prayer is to see how much we can get from God. I'll just pester you and bug you. I'll throw some requests at you and hope that you move. And yet Jesus says, actually, do you understand who you're talking to? The greatest gift of prayer isn't how much you can get of God, but how much God you can get. There is no limit to how much God we can get when we step into the throne room and spend time with him in prayer. The greatest gift always is him. As I was laying in bed that night, I was thinking about how my son didn't walk away after he prayed that prayer with a grumpy face or a worried look. He skipped down the trail. He hummed. He ran. His heart was light. He was able to go before his father and knowing who his father was, I know who you are. I can give you this, and what I'll take away is you. He walked away peaceful, expectant, hopeful, not worried. There's an exchange that happens in prayer when we understand who it is we're talking to is a child approaching the heart of a father. It's not a tired man knocking on the door of a grumpy neighbor. That parable is a parable of contrast. The neighbor is. God isn't. If the neighbor is this, how much more is God? So often we pray like we're talking to a crabby neighbor. That's not who God is. I think when we actually start to wrap our mind around the who of our prayers, then the what of our, cha- our prayers begin to change. I think that's why Jesus gives us these words, um, knock and ask and seek. Because basically, when we start to understand who we're talking to, it changes how we knock and ask and seek. I'm not sure if I'm going to do those in the order... Um, that Jesus mentioned them. But I want to look at each word a little bit while we have some time here today. So first of all, a, the verse says, um, when you seek God, everyone who seeks will find. That word seek gives us the idea that when we're looking for, some, of looking for something, when you play hide and seek, you don't go out playing hide and seek alone. There's nobody to find. I'll never forget when my son Joshua went to kindergarten, he was very concerned about what he was missing when he was gone. Very annoyed that his little sister was still home with mom. And so one day, a couple weeks into kindergarten, um, we were talking after school, and he said, yes, so what do you do when Maggie is taking a nap? That used to be our special time. He knew that when Maggie went down for a nap when he was home, that was our time we would play. But now he was wondering what I did. And I said, oh, nothing much at all. I fold laundry and do dishes, eat a few bonbons. <laughs> and he exhaled a sigh and said, oh, I thought you might be playing hide and seek or something. Said <laughs> so Josh, who would I be looking for? <laughs> the whole idea of seeking, is there's someone to be found? This is when prayer gets exciting, when we understand that what we're seeking will always be found. We are never playing hide and seek alone. The Bible says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That's a promise. Prayer isn't just going after an answer. Prayer is going after God. And when we reduce prayer just to an experiment in answers, we can walk away empty-handed. Yes, God always answers. Sometimes it takes time. Yes, God always answers. Sometimes it's not the answer we like. Yes, God always answers. He promises that. But sometimes the answer isn't even something we can recognize until we grow in maturity. But if we go into prayer with the idea that we are seeking more of him, we will never walk away empty-handed. Because a God of immeasurably more, there's no limit to that. When we understand who we're talking to, it changes the way we seek. I think when we understand who we're talking to, it changes the way we ask. When we understand the heart of this father, this good, good father, and we're going after his heart, then we don't have to guard ourselves with all these games that we can play. When we don't understand he's a good father and he's a giver of good gifts, I think we approach prayer in in twisted ways. First of all, I'm going to, um, I'm just not going to ask anything because then I'll be disappointed. I'm not going to ask that because he might not answer it how I want. How I stood at the tree. Oh, great, what are you doing? You ask that, now what? My whole concern was that my son was going to be disappointed in God. Hey, listen, we're not responsible for God's reputation. God does not need our prayers to edify who he is. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. He does not change with the shifting shadows, James says. He's a giver of good gifts. And so we don't have to worry that if we put a bold ask out there, somehow God's going to be stressed to pull through. We don't have to guard our hearts against disappointment. If we truly understand who He is, He's the one who works all things for good. He knows every hair on our head, every intricacy of who we are, and He knows exactly what we need when we need it. I cannot tell you how much freedom comes when we truly start to understand that our prayers are always answered through the very best way that he knows. It might not feel like it. It might not look like it. But because of who God is, it's true. So we can ask. We can ask about the little things because he cares about that too. I don't know about you parents. I mean... I used to go to bed when our kids were little, and I would say to my husband, my ears hurt. Like, my ears hurt. I don't know if my genes are real dominant and what happened there. I have a quiet husband and very noisy house. I'm not sure how that worked out. But five kids, that's a lot of words in a day, a lot of words. Particularly when they're small and they don't know how to filter their words. And so all day long, it just felt like everyone is asking, 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 asking. But I can't remember too many times, you can ask my kids later, that I ever stopped my foot and screamed, stop asking me stuff. I mean, I maybe wanted to. Because like a parent understands that our job is to welcome the ask. Of course you may ask me that again. Of course you may ask me that. This is who God is. It's that idea of asking. Like the neighbor, that picture of knock, 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 ask, 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 but we're not bugging him. He's delightfully inviting us to ask. Come on in. Ask away. We don't have to worry that somehow we might have a ration on the number of things we can ask. I think when we start to understand who God is, it makes us pray with expectancy instead of expectation. See, when we pin our expectations on people, it's like we're saying there's one way to do it, and if you don't do it this way, you did it wrong. When we pin expectations on something, we set ourselves up for disappointment. If I expect, that all the dishes are going to be done when I get home, I might be a little disappointed. If I am expectant that my family will be happy that I'm home, I might have a better chance of walking in the door and feeling delighted. Expectations, pen God and put Him in a box. God, when I ask you this, I expect you'll answer that. And if you don't, well, then you didn't even work. But expectancy comes to God and says, here's my heart. Here's what I'm hoping, wishing, feeling. But I know you. I trust you with this. My daughter Hannah was probably four or five. She had on a little pink dress and she was out in the driveway waiting for me to take her out for her birthday. And as I was coming out, I heard the neighbor lady talking with her at the edge of the driveway. And she said, oh, honey, you look so pretty. Where are you going? And Hannah said, it's my birthday. She said, well, what are you doing? And she go, said, I'm going out with mom. And the neighbor said, well, wh- what are you going to do with mom? She said, I don't know. But if I know my mom, it's going to be good. <laughs> this, this is the spirit of expectancy that we can bring to prayer when we understand who we're talking to. God, I don't know what you're going to do with this mess. I don't know how you're going to handle all this stuff I'm going to put in your lap as I'm talking to you. But if I know you, it's going to be good. We can ask with the spirit of expectancy, because we have a God who is a giver of good gifts. Finally, I think that when we understand who God is, it changes the way that we knock. That idea of knocking implies this sort of picture of a door. As we come and we bring a request to him, and there's open doors and there's closed doors. The book of Revelation talks about a door that only God can open. There are doors that no man can close, God can open. We know that um, there's a door of our heart where he knocks. Often this concept of a door in scripture shows us there's these different ways. But I think that in order to trust God with our doors, we have to first know him. It's weird how we can trust him as our savior, but not trust him as a keeper of our doors. Because see, if we're going to have a prayer life where we come in with expectancy and we ask boldly and we leave all our stuff on his lap, then we also have to be comfortable with his answers. I wonder how many people in here gave up on prayer with the first no. God didn't do it how we thought, what we wanted, when we wanted, and we said, that's it, prayer doesn't work. So often, God's no's are really just not yet. So many times, God says a no because he's saving a better yes. Can't see it. We don't understand it. I'll never forget the time that I planned a surprise party for my daughter, Lizzie. She was junior high, probably, teenager, somewhere in there. And and I kind of left the whole day free. And the plan was that her friends were going to show up at her house when her grandma took her out for lunch. And... They would be here and we had a party plan. But that morning, she got in her head that since it was her birthday, she wanted to call her friends and go to a movie. And I continued to say to her, no, 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 you've got plans. Grandma's taking you out for lunch. Oh, and she wanted the movie. And she got more and more frustrated until finally she was like, you're wrecking my birthday. (laughs) Well, I wrecked it, because that's what moms do. We wreck things. And so I sent her off to lunch with Grandma And in the meantime, all of her friends came to the house. And when she walked back up, came through the door, her friends yelled, surprise. And suddenly she looked at me and she understood. My no was protecting my yes. No to the movie meant yes to the party. But at 10 o'clock that morning, none of us were feeling good about the no. (laughs) See if we are going to knock if we are going to persist in prayer, if we are going to take the invitation that God says, come, come, bring all of it to me, all of your stuff, the big stuff, the small stuff, the bold things, bring it to me. If we are going to ask and be persistent, we have to trust he's the keeper of our doors. And the only way to trust him is to know him. So what I've been learning In the decade since the dead tree that we prayed over, I've been learning that the best way to grow my prayer life is just to learn more about God. Just seek to know Him. If I want a prayer life that's big and thriving, if I want to pray the big kind of prayers that Joshua did that said, Lord, stop the sun. Hold it still in the sky. I first need to know the one who stops the sun. I love that story about Joshua. If you're not familiar with it, he was in a battle. It's a battle he kind of got in with his own bad moves, so bummer for Joshua. But as he was fighting this battle, it was getting dark, and he realized if it got dark, they weren't going to win. They wouldn't be able to see the enemy. And so at one point, Joshua boldly threw up his hands and prayed that God would stop the sun. And Exodus thirty three eleven tells us, he did. God held the sun in the sky. But listen, Joshua wouldn't have ever known he had a God that could stop the sun if he hadn't spent years and years and years seeking to know his God. It says, if you backtrack in Exodus 33, 11, the Lord would come to speak to Moses when the Israelites were tenting in the wilderness. Everyone was invited to go speak to the Lord in the tent, but Moses is the one who went, and he would go in and talk with God face to face, and he would come out, and his face would be radiant and shining. There's no mention of anybody else ever going, ever seeking God on their own, ever going to talk with them, except for this little line that says, the Lord spoke to Moses, and Joshua stayed by the table. To know the God that Moses knew. Who is that? I want to know him too. And the young boy who was Joshua. Who was the aid to Moses. Eventually sought the Lord enough that he knew him. And he knew he was the kind of God. That could stop the sun. See our prayer life. Is dependent. Not on the answers God gives us. But the intimacy that we share. Can always, always have more. Jesus tells this parable, I think, to make his disciples hungry for more of God. Because if we were hungry for more of God, we find ourselves receiving more in prayer. More of his spirit, more of his gifts, more confidence to walk it out. that day on the trail I blew it I didn't trust that God could manage either the disappointment or my wobbly faith but since that day I've continued to ask "Do you just teach me to pray I want to know you I want to know the God who could raise the tree And make it stand tall. He's the God who put his son on the tree for me. Why wouldn't he raise a tree up if he wants to? I want to know the God who walks with us and says, I have more. I have more for you than what you can imagine. And I want to do more in you than what you're even asking for. That's what prayer is. An invitation to more. I wonder if today there's something that you are longing for more of. Maybe you have a prayer that has just gone on and on and you're discouraged. And you need more perseverance to keep knocking and bringing it. Maybe you just don't even know this God that I'm talking about. The Father that said, come, I'm not a crabby neighbor. I want you, and I want to give myself to you. Maybe you just want more of him. Maybe you're tired of trying to figure it out. Maybe when you go into prayer, you feel like you have to have a plan, and you have to present God with a plan. Maybe you're just ready to come to your father and climb on his lap and say, I have no idea. But this that I'm carrying, it belongs on you. You're strong enough to carry it. I'm not sure what more you need of today. More perseverance, more hope, more of Jesus. I'd love to invite you today to take some time and just talk to your father about it. What more do you have for me that I've been missing? What more do you have for me that I've ignored because you haven't answered my prayers in the way I wanted? What more might you have for me that I haven't been able to carry because my hands have been filled? This spring, I received a phone call that really shifted. Hmm. (laughs) I received a phone call. Um, that seemed like all, all the prayers I'd been praying over an adoption we've been a part of for a very long time, it, it, the phone call made it seem like they were all in vain. Everything was falling apart. None of it made sense. And so I sat down with the Lord the day after that phone call, and I just threw it at him. What in the world? What are you doing? What are we doing? We gave a yes. We're walking in obedience. I thought, I thought, I thought, what? What are we doing? And I came in wanting answers, and I just, just kept saying, like, just show me, clear answer, any answer. I don't care. Give me a yes, give me a no. I, I'll take any answer. I want an answer. And as I was praying, God began to give me a vision of just me holding This child, this child that we long to adopt. And he just kept saying, just put it down. Put him down. And the more he said to my spirit, put him down, the more I pulled him close. No way, are you kidding? I've carried this for 15 years. I'm not putting this down. You finish this story. Just get it done. And he just kept saying, put it down. And finally, I was praying and I was wrestling I was crying and I said, Fine. And I set it down, and in my mind, I could see myself setting down this child. And as I set down the child and I stepped around, I suddenly saw Jesus. And he just stood there like this. And he was giddy, he could not stop giggling. It wasn't a cranky neighbor. It was a happy Jesus. And Jesus just stood there like this. And suddenly I looked at my arms and I went, they're free. And in this vision that was a prayer that was, I don't know what it was, I just ran to him and we jumped and we danced. And I felt so light. Because sometimes what we carry into prayer is not what we're supposed to carry out of prayer. Prayer, when we approach it as a chance to encounter Jesus, becomes a chance to walk away with our hands filled with him and our burdens left behind. That is the more of prayer. That is the more of God. And when that happens, the answers don't matter so much because our hands are so filled with him that we aren't too worried about what else we can carry. I'd like to pray for us. Jesus, it can just feel so hard, Lord. Prayer can feel so hard. God, so often we feel like prayer is this thing where we have to pin you down, where we have to take a gamble, where we're going to win or we're going to lose, Lord, but what you're saying to us is it's not a gamble, it's a gift. We are invited to come and receive. We will never walk away empty-handed. We cannot lose when we approach prayer as a way to find more of you. And God, as we take hold of more of you, you can reveal more of your gifts to us. Oh, forgive us for getting it so mixed up. God, would you stir a hunger in us for more of you? Would you give us the desire to try again if prayer has become a burden, if prayer has become a disappointment, if prayer has become a checklist? Lord, set us free. May prayer become. A a seeking of you. And may, Lord, we never, ever stop taking hold of all you offer. We pray that in Jesus' name.